and I just want to pray because this morning's message is it's just a normal message, but it talks about uh, some spiritual aspects that I think uh, that we often forget about. So let me just pray. Most gracious Father, I want to pray right now that your spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in all of us who have said yes to you, uh, Lord, would just open our minds and hearts, bring clarity, bring encouragement, bring enthusiasm, Father. Lord, I pray if there's anything that is not of you, that it would just be removed, be forgotten, would even leave the room. Uh, Father, I pray uh, this is your house and these are your people. And so, Father, we pray as we look at your word now that we'd be able to focus, there wouldn't be any distractions with, with tech issues or noise or anything like that, but we'd be able to fully focus on what you have to share of us this morning. And so we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. The young... Youth, uh, you're, you're up in the shed if you want to head out to that. If you haven't already done that, they've done that. That's great. I'll start by sharing a story. There was a farmer uh, in the US, I think this was, and he had obviously a heap of land, heap of farm farming, and he had cattle and all that kind of stuff. And then a government surveyor came onto his property and said that he needed to survey his property. He needed to take some samples of the soil, the rocks, and all that kind of stuff to see if there's any contamination, to see if there's any valuable minerals on, that, on his property. And Anyway, the, the farmer was a little bit reluctant, like, hang on a sec, this is my land, I own it, I paid for it, um, uh, you know, what's, what's going to happen with those results, are you going to then take, if it's gold, you'll probably take it, if it's asbestos, you'll tell me to remove it, um, so, so what, what's going to happen? Anyway, the, the government surveyor, since there was a little bit of uh, friction between him and the farmer, and so he pulled out this certificate and he says, I have all the authority from the government to go onto any part of this property that I wish. In fact, he said, I can go onto any property in all of the United States of America with this certification, I have the authority to do so. And so the farmer said, okay, well, who am I to argue with the White House? I'll let you onto the property. And so the uh, government surveyor went onto the property and then uh, as he started to do his uh, work that he needed to do, the farmer went over to another paddock and he opened a gate which had his bull his main bull, I don't know, I think the nickname was Shaq, was the name of this bull, it was huge. And he opened the, the gate and allowed the bull into the paddock that the government surveyor was working in. And all of a sudden the bull was looked at the government surveyor, didn't recognise him and started to run towards the, the government surveyor. The government surveyor starts freaking out, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? As this bull starts getting closer and closer. Now the farmer being a farmer said, why don't you show him your papers? Why don't you show them your papers that you have authority to go on the... Anyway, the bull mauled this poor guy. He lost his leg and his arm. No, he didn't do that. <laughs> but the, 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 why don't you show him the papers? Now, this guy had the authority to go onto the, the, the land, but he didn't have the power in the sense of the power to stop the bull. Full authority, but no power to stop the bull. Now, we've been looking at these encounters, some interesting encounters with Jesus, and what we see with Jesus is he has the authority, but he also has the power. He has the authority and the power. Not just the power, but he has the power and the authority. And when you have the, the authority and the power, you get something that is incredible. And we see this in the encounters even where Jesus has the authority over sickness. He has the authority over sickness. He says to the guy who couldn't walk, get off, get up from your mat, take it and go home. He has the authority. He says it. He states it. But he also has the power because what happens? The guy picks his mat up and he walks and he goes home. He has authority and power over sickness. We see that he has authority and power to, to forgive sins because he says your sins are forgiven. 
Jesus has the authority. He also has the power to forgive sins. Jesus has the authority and power. As a teacher, even last week we saw uh, with Jason's sermon with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was like, whoa, whoa, what is he talking about? This, this teaching is, is just in- incredible and powerful because Jesus has authority as a, as a teacher. He has power as a teacher. When we read through the Gospels, we see other aspects where Jesus has authority and power over nature. The story when he's out in, in the, um, on the lake and there's a big storm and there's chaos raining and everything like that. And what does he just say to the storm? Be still. And it's completely quiet because Jesus has the authority and Jesus has the power. We see that Jesus has authority and power over death with Lazarus, get out, wake up. He, even to when he's on the cross, he, he defeats death and, and rises three days later. He has authority over death. He has authority over the, the enemy and evil spirits. And that's one we're going to be looking at today. It's not one that we commonly think about. It's not one that we commonly look at. But Jesus has authority and Jesus has a power over the enemy. And Jesus actually says that I give you, all authority that's been given to me, I give to what? To you. That as you go about your life, as you go about doing your Christian journey, you have that same authority. But we don't want to become like the government surveyor with the the certificate. We need to make sure we stay connected to the what? The power. And so this morning we we continue with our encounters with, with Jesus and um, we're looking at how Jesus has authority over evil spirits. Authority over evil spirits. It's not necessarily a common one that we talk about, although sometimes you kind of fall into two camps. You're kind of out of sight, out of mind. It doesn't happen. It's not real. Or you're someone who just is like fully like into that, Googling it, YouTubing, anything to do with demons and, and ghosts or, or whatever. And, and that's probably the, the extreme. So you fit into either extreme. But we need to talk about it because it's real. It happens. And we see Jesus dealing with it on, uh, quite commonly. And so we're reading from Mark chapter 9, and we're going to be starting in verse 14. Now, I'll give you the context here. Um, just prior to this, Jesus and, and the three uh, went up to the transfiguration where Mount Peter, James and John and, and Jesus encounters God and, and, and uh, he's, he's glowing in that, in that face, so to speak. And Peter wants to stay up on the mountain and, and say, let's stay here. And, and, and Jesus says, no, we're going to go back. And so these uh, Jesus, Peter, James and John, have co- they're coming back to the town where they were. And this is where we pick up the story. So they've come back and this is what they see. Verse 14, it says, when they saw or when they came to the other disciples, so the other nine disciples who were left on their own. It's interesting, there's some parallelism here with, can anyone tell me what story in Genesis that we can kind of pick up? Um, maybe it's a bit of a stretch. Who was the guy that went up to the mountain and saw God? Moses, he comes down, and when he comes down, what's happened? There's a bit of a, yeah, there's a bit of a, they've been running a mark, there's, there's people kind of quarreling, and, and we see this kind of a little bit with, with Jesus, he's come back and he's come down, and we see that the disciples, uh, the nine are in a bit of trouble and it says they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law the scribes the teachers of the law arguing with the nine disciples as soon as all the people saw Jesus they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran uh, to greet him now some commentators say the reason why they did that is because Jesus from that transfiguration maybe had this kind of radiant radioactive glow or, or, or something like that but but again it could have been that from that but probably more so that that people were still attracted to Jesus 
they want an encounter with Jesus. Uh, and, and look what happens here. Jesus asked the question, what are you arguing with them about to the disciples? What are you arguing to the scribes about? What's going on here? And then we introduce to a new person into the, to the story. It says, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son uh, who is possessed uh, by a, a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. So this poor boy can't speak um, because of this spirit. Whenever he seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. Um, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not do it. Now, when we look at this, and again, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but uh, there's some symptoms there that you could say that this poor boy would have had epilepsy uh, or, or seizures. And, and sometimes that is the case, but in this case, it's not. We, we actually know that he has a spirit in him that is controlling him. We'll read a little bit later that this spirit tries to throw him into fire and, and throw him into the water. So we need to be careful here that just because someone has uh, there's physical symptoms, even mental health and, and uh, like epilepsy and that kind of stuff that are completely, that aren't spiritual in nature. That actually, uh, that's, uh, now Jesus can heal them 100% and we pray that they can be healed, but a doctor as well. And, and so we, there's a balance here. I'm, I'm being cautious uh, because sometimes we can go to the point that anyone, any, you've got a stomachache, it's a demonic possession. Um, so there's that side, but also there is an aspect here that we've we got to be real, that you, people can be possessed with demonic spirits. Am I clear in that? Uh, hopefully I've balanced that reasonably well. And so this is what we have here, this poor boy. Imagine, put yourself in the shoes of, of, of the father. This poor father is desperate. His son is possessed by this, this evil spirit. Now, we don't know the reason. Maybe, maybe they've ventured into areas, this, uh, the demonic areas that they shouldn't have. We don't know. But what we do know is this father is desperate to help his son, just like you do with your children, if you've got children. Or remember, I remember when our first, uh, one of our children had a fever. Remember the first time a child has a fever. And I was, you know, you cook an egg on their forehead and you just, you want to help them. You want them, and, and that's just with that. You think of sickness, severe sicknesses, and it's your child, your heart breaks, doesn't it? You almost want to exchange yourself. And that's, that's a, don't, don't take the human aspect out of these stories. We tend to do that when we read the scriptures. This is a, this is a normal guy who has a son, and his son's being uh, possessed by an evil spirit. That's scary. As a parent, that would be incredibly scary and heartbreaking. And that's where this poor guy is in. Now, Jesus asked the question, what, what are they arguing about? So the disciples and the scribes are having this argument uh, about the fact that the disciples couldn't remove this, this, uh, this evil spirit from this child, uh, get rid of this evil spirit. And the, there's a good sense that the scribes are probably having a go at the disciples and saying, oh, you, I thought you guys knew what you were doing. Now, the Jewish scribes, they too could, they would deal with demon possession as well. So it's interesting that they don't try to tackle it. But, but they just have a go at the disciples. Huh, your teacher's not here. You can't do it. It's probably not real. And so they're, you know, teasing them or, or having a go at them. And, and there's this arguing that's going on. And here's our very first point that I want to make. Very simple point, And that is we are in a spiritual battle. Now we can easily, especially in Australia, especially in, in, in Perth, beautiful place, um, you know, it's pretty comfortable to live. We, we can remove the spiritual quite easily. 
we've got enough food, we can look after ourselves and all that. But there is this spiritual battle going on and we need to remind ourselves that we are in a spiritual battle. Look what Ephesians 6.12 said, you probably know it well. Uh, Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Uh, John talks about that there are different spirits there's the spirit of God God's spirit the Holy Spirit and then there are other spirits and what does he say for us to do that we are to test those spirits Um, you know everything not all spirits are good there's the God's Holy Spirit and then the rest if it's not God's spirit then it's not a good spirit Um, if it's not an angel it's not from God it's it's not good it is bad and so just quickly let's just sidetrack real quick on this two aspect there's there's the spiritual battle there's there's two kingdoms okay there's the kingdom of God uh, if we look up here on on the screen the kingdom of God which is life the kingdom of life the kingdom of light and then the kingdom of Satan now you might say whoa, whoa, whoa that's a little bit extreme uh, Satan doesn't have a kingdom but actually in this current age Satan is referred to as what the God the God the king of this world that God, the God of the Bible, has given him basically a bit of free reign uh, to do what he wants. And so he wants to take down as many people as he, as he can. So it's the kingdom of Satan. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom of death. Now, where does this kingdom reign? So wherever, wherever uh, Satan's will um, or wherever Satan is in action, directly or indirectly, wherever Satan's will has been done, that's the kingdom of, of Satan in action you only have to turn on your tv to see that don't you where so there's there's some and he's working at big levels so we've got uh, the angels about a third of the angels are fallen angels they're demons uh, and they follow satan um, and they're causing destruction around the world and wherever that's happening that's the kingdom of satan in action now there's also our own rubbish our own junk which is the flesh and our own sinful nature, which also causes um, destruction and pain, doesn't it? Okay, but also at work is the kingdom of Satan. And so wherever God's will is being worked, wherever God's uh, will is in action uh, through his believers, uh, through that, that's the kingdom of God moving and spreading. And as, as, as a church, we should be agents of that. Now, let me also say that the kingdom of Satan is temporary. It's only for a, a period of time. Uh, and when Jesus returns, that will be destroyed and Satan, that's it. And also, God still can decide and chooses to intervene. God hasn't fully allowed <clears throat> Satan to do everything. God still shows grace in this world to people. Imagine if it was to fully remove himself, which we know at the end of the book that there is a place where there is no God. And so, so God still has that uh, in, in action. So let's have a look at some of the other aspects of these two kingdoms. <coughs> the next part is the, I don't have it in my notes, you're going to have to put it on the screen. Uh, the realm, obviously earth, heaven and earth. The next part here is, um, keep flicking through. The citizens, well, believers in Jesus are part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the faithless, the power. Well, the power, uh, Satan uses lies, and illusions it's not always this we we think of satan as um horns and a 
you know he can be a manipulator through lies and through gossips illusions whereas the kingdom of god is is the gospel it's a love it's the cross a custom or the the outworking obviously anywhere you see evil is the kingdom of satan where you see the fruit of the spirit that's the kingdom of god and then destiny i think is hell and heaven how a bit of an old-fashioned word isn't it but basically if you think that earth is bad you think of the worst places on earth hell is worse than that and i also want to say that satan after this satan does not rule in hell we also have this misconception uh, and we see on tv that satan's got a uh what do you call it a throne and he rules in hell no 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 he's punished in hell he's just that's that's it's not he doesn't get to rule and have people serving him stuff. No, he's punished in hell along with everyone who has not said yes to Jesus. So that's, the, that's kind of two, two aspects, kingdom of heaven and it's a quick overview, kingdom of, of, of Satan. The other thing I quickly want to touch on is, oh man, oh, it's hot. Yeah, I know. I thought my wife would have done it, but anyway. Oh, maybe I'll be spending some time in there. Uh, where were we? Oh, the other thing I wanted to say that um, Satan is ultimately defeated. Okay, he's defeated. Read the end of the book, he's defeated. Um, but he has this time where he can do, and he's trying to take down as many people. Um, ultimately, Christ will restore, he will redeem all that has been stolen from, by Satan. Now, the other thing I want to quickly highlight is there's a difference between possession and oppression so the uh, dem- the uh, demonic spirits or evil spirits um can possess now my my view is if you're a follower of jesus you cannot be possessed with a demonic spirit that's just my theology because i believe that you have a spirit in you which is god's spirit he has taken up residence but uh, you can be possessed by an evil spirit because um, possessed means to indwell or there's oppression, which means there's an attack from the outside. So the, you get attacked from the outside, which Christians uh, suffer all the time, come under attack. The other quick thing about Satan, there is only one Satan, and he is not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time, whereas Satan isn't. He can't be at, at all places at all times, but obviously he's pretty crafty. He has a, an army of his uh, demons at work and in, in different areas of government, in societies, in communities, and through people. And so, so possession and oppression. So in this state, in this story, this poor boy is possessed. The, this demonic or evil spirit is inside of him. It, it indwells him, whereas oppression is an attack from without look at second corinthians uh, this is paul speaking uh, i was given a, a thorn in my flesh a messenger of satan to torment me so paul's been given this oppression all the time to torment him uh, three times i pleaded with the lord to take it away from me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that christ's power may res- uh, rest on me that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties for where I'm weak, I'm strong. So there's this oppression, there's this attack on Paul, as he, especially because Paul was pushing into new territory, wasn't he, constantly, and so he would be under attack. Peter says, it's not up on the screen, he says, Be alert and sober-minded, for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And so there's 
being possessed and there's being oppressed. Uh, I don't know if I've shared this story several, no, probably about seven years ago. Uh, we came under a, 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 a season of oppression. There was, um, we were doing some, some new things at Lakeside, pushing into new territory. And one day I came home, we came home, I think it was at night. Uh, it was about, well, obviously it was at night, but it was around about 10.30, maybe a little bit later. We'd been out for dinner and we rock up and on our front lawn were uh, five massive fish, about this big. Like if you caught them, you'd be putting it all over Facebook. These things were huge. Um, there was five fish on our front lawn and then there was all this flour everywhere and bags of flour. And I'm like, what? What? The youth? What the youth? Oh, I thought it was the youth being idiots because I actually preached on the bread and the, uh, the fish and the loaves and I thought oh those little turkeys wait till I get them I'm like they're gone all out because these fish would have been expensive anyway I spoke to the youth pastor the next day and he's like no nah, I wish I came up with that idea but it wasn't me you know it was and I'm like man I started to think who would do that you know it wasn't you know when someone just goes past your house and eggs your house there's a lot of effort that went into this um, at the same time I period I started, I kept waking up at 2 a.m. for no reason, around about 2, 2.30 every morning and was tired and, and we were expanding. It was going into about a, a $2 million new project. And, and one of the ways the enemy loves, and maybe for you, for me, is he brings fear into my life. And when he brings fear to me, I stop and I won't move. I'm just not going anywhere because I'm too scared to move um, and so there, there started to be a, a fear developing. I forgot about the fish. And then, uh, I don't know how many weeks after this, um, I woke up on a Sunday morning to go to church and I've gone outside and there was these pig feet. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a pig trotter. Scary looking things. Um, they were disgusting. Um, there was six or seven of them. There was next to my door as I was about to walk out on the grass, on the letterbox, and, and um, there was rice, uh, a, a line of rice with soy sauce. I think it was soy, it could have been sweet and sour, um, but it was, it was a straight line right a, a, in front of our door frame. Now, this, just, this, this threw me um, and Siobhan, and I'm like, this is, my kids are sleeping right there, and there's pig trotters, and uh, you know, started to think, whoa, this isn't just kids. Uh, actually, Neil Anderson, I think he was here, wasn't he? Spent some time with him because he also did a mission work and talked about uh, witches and, and how it probably would have been witches in the area. Um, I always thought of getting a camera set up. And imagine if it was my mother-in-law or something. Like, uh, but I always wanted to get a camera to see what or who it was. And, but it really, it really paralyzed us. And we're like, oh, we don't want to even work for Jesus. I just want to work at Coles. You know, like... I. <laughs> And so we started, we, we, we started praying more and even walking around in prayer. And, um, and we never found out who did it, but, but it was this oppression and it, it was heavy. You know, it was really heavy. And it did, it did its job for a little bit because I didn't want to do anything. Um, it's, it stopped me and it was like, no greater is he that is in you than, than is in the world. Um, and, even, and so then when I kept waking up at, um, in the morning, Neil said, so whenever you wake up, start praying for people in your church. If he's going to wake you up, make sure you pray. Okay, okay. I started praying and, um, and then I'd fall asleep again. But, but there's an example of oppression. And you may, and again, that's, that's pretty, but there's other forms of oppression, even your physical health, your relationships and, 
and, and, and the enemy wants to derail you, especially if you're heading in the right direction. I was sharing with uh, Chris and Kerry uh, last week, I think it was, when I went on a mission trip to the, the Solomon Islands and we would go to um, church services um, and, and share and preach and, and these services would go for four hours they went and the males sit on one side and the ladies sit on the other side and they would sing and they would sing and they would sing anyway it was time to get up and preach or to share the word and the very first one we went to we got up the guy went up it wasn't me on that day but um he started preaching and sharing the gospel and it was pandemonium outside every dog within and there's dogs everywhere over there every dog within 10k started barking like it was so, it was just like, what? Who let the dogs out? And I had to say that. And, and we didn't think of it. We just thought, oh man, stupid dogs. But the minister of that church grabbed us and said, we have to go out the back and pray because that's, that's demonic. The, the spirits, they don't want this message to be heard. I thought, just feed the dogs. But again, they see it all the time. We, we, don't, we miss that, don't we? And so we would pray and pray on the dogs. And so now, then the next time we went, we started praying straight away, no dogs. Um, but again, just an example how the enemy is at work and, and we need to realize that we are in a spiritual battle. I even felt it a little bit this morning. I don't want to over-say it, but I got up here and I just felt, oh, it just doesn't feel like the microphone didn't work. And um, So it just happens in little things. And maybe you've experienced it. Possession, oppression. Let's keep reading this story. We are in a spiritual battle. Uh, Mark nine. Uh, we we see what nineteen. Sorry, is it? Yeah. Um, look what Jesus does after he hears from this poor father. He says, "Oh, unbelieving generation." Jesus replied, "How long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Uh, bring the boy to me." Now, is Jesus talking uh, to the disciples? Maybe he's rebuking them a bit. Maybe he's rebuking the scribes for giving him a hard time. Maybe he's rebuking the father. Probably not. Um, maybe he's just generally saying, with his disappointment with everyone, "Bring the boy to me." And then he goes. So they brought him. When the spirit, see, this is how we know. When the spirit saw Jesus, uh, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Isn't it interesting that the demonic spirit knows who Jesus is? The, the demonic, and we, we read in other encounters that the demonic spirit knows who Jesus is. He knows that this guy has authority and has power. Uh, in another encounter, the, it talks to Jesus and says, oh, you, you know, what are you doing? It's too early almost. And so the demonic spirit knows and recognizes who Jesus is. It doesn't worship Jesus or follow Jesus. It rebels but it knows and they're the scribes and the religious they don't know right there in front of his face the question is do you know who Jesus is today do you know who Jesus is do you follow him as the Lord and Savior is he your the the king of kings real in your life this demonic spirit who is the enemy knows exactly who Jesus is and knows exactly the authority and the power uh, that Jesus has and brings and so right here in this moment he froze the boy on the ground and the poor boy starts foaming from the mouth and and uh, Jesus asked the boy's father how long has he been like this from childhood he answered man again put yourself in the position of the poor father it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him but if you can do anything take pity on us and help us and Jesus says if you can like he's saying 
and again, I don't think he's rebuking the, the father, but he's saying, you th if you can, I can, he's basically saying to Jesus. Everything is possible for him who believes. And one of the most beautiful verses in the whole Bible is this one right here. Authentic and real. And, and if we're honest, it's probably, most of us, is, this is where we would sit. Look at what he says. I do believe... Help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that just that? Well, hang on a sec. Do you believe or don't you? But he's just being brutally honest. I've I've tried. I've seen my poor son thrown to the ground and foaming from the mouth. I I believe. I believe. But there's a part of me that probably thinks, "Can you do this? Can you do this?" I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Uh, he did believe that Jesus had the power to deliver the boy. After all, he wouldn't have brought him to Jesus if he didn't think he could do it. But he recognized, hey, I have doubts. I have fears. I have uh, things that I don't think. Uh, I, I don't even know some of my doubts. So he pleads with Jesus, I believe, but, but help me in those unbeliefs. And, and I think Jesus acknowledges that and recognizes that. And God does. That we just go to him, God, I believe, but there's unbelief. If there is unbelief, when there comes unbelief, help me in that unbelief. Give me, even, even that, that, that we need the, the Spirit to actually give us the belief to, to believe. And so this poor guy cries out. It's not rebellion. He's not rebelling against God. It's not rejection of God. It, it's actually him saying, you know what, I believe and help me in my unbelief. That's probably a prayer we should wake up every morning and say, I believe help me in my unbelief here's the second point faith is only as strong as the object you're trusting in you uh you could have the the strongest faith the most powerful faith in the worst object you put your faith in the wrong place faith is only as strong as the object you're trusting in the little sub clause a little under thing here is it's not the size of the faith but rather the object of your faith we put our faith in Jesus. What does Jesus say? If you have the faith the size of what? Mustard seed. Here's a picture of a mustard seed. Looks like something he picked out of his belly button, but it's pretty small, isn't it? He says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, move from there to over there. Now, obviously, hyperbole is saying, but he's saying just a bit of faith. Why? Because it's, it's not necessarily even the, the size of the faith. It's who you put that little mustard seed faith in. You could have six tons of those and put all that faith in me, your pastor. You're wasting it. Because the object's average, below average. Whereas he's saying a little bit of faith in the object, God, Jesus, that's when it's, you, it's the object of the faith that, that matters. It's not the size of the faith can we take that off the screen i'm starting to feel sick there we go um what what are you putting your faith in what's the object of your faith we tend to put it in ourselves if we're honest we tend to put it all in ourselves in, instead of a little bit on god or do we do we do we have strong faith in the wrong things strong faith in my health man i walk an hour a day i can lift a small car i eat healthy oh strong faith i'm going to live to 150 or my finances i put faith in that because you know it says you should see it you know it's really helpful what are you putting your faith in what are you putting your faith in 
look at Hebrews 11. Actually, I don't know if I've got it. There it is. Now, faith is uh, confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. And further along in that chapter, it says, without faith, you cannot please God. Here's the thing I want to encourage you with. Jesus responds to whatever measure of faith you have. You've got to have some faith, but he will respond to you. Now, he might, he might not leave you there. He might move you along, but he will respond to And we see these in these encounters, don't we? Nicodemus has a little bit of faith in the sense he goes to him at night, but he moves him. The lady, the Samaritan at the well, he moves her. He moves, so he will respond to whatever measure of faith you have. A weak faith in Jesus is stronger than the greatest faith in ourselves. Even a little bit of faith in Jesus is way better than a strong faith in, in yourselves. We live in a society that says, believe in yourself. And some of that's good stuff to kind of, but it's a little bit fairy around the edges. And you can do it. You can do it. You've got to have a good self-esteem. And, and, and again, it's not bad, but actually we need to have faith in who? Something, I, I know myself. I know who I am. When I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can trust that guy. You know, so, so we know if we're honest about ourselves, we know ourselves and what we're like and the things we do and think about and then all that kind of stuff and what we really want. And, and so, no, I need to put my faith in something greater than me, something, an object better than me outside of myself. Here's a great quote here from Tim Keller, the Reformed uh, preacher. He says, through Jesus, uh, we don't need perfect righteousness, just repentant helplessness uh and uh, that's a great phrase as well repentant and helplessness i can't say it to access the presence of god the boy's father says i'm not faithful i'm riddled with doubts i cannot muster the strength necessary to meet my moral and spiritual challenges but help me that's saving faith faith in jesus instead of one's self faith in jesus instead of oneself don carson i don't know if you've heard of him he's a um Presbyterian minister and he tells the story of uh, just a story that he made up about imagine the uh, Passover the first pass that the Passover when in Egypt and, and God commands uh, the Hebrew people to uh, cut the lamb uh, cut the lamb uh, slaughter the lamb and put the blood on the lintel around the door and and, and cook the, the, the lamb and the bread and all that get that ready and and they have to do that because if they don't do that what happens the firstborn child would die male firstborn male will die and so so he, he tells the story of oh there's two two guys two hebrews uh, smith and johnson um having a conversation and one says to the other he says are you a bit nervous about tonight you know the angel of death's gonna pass over and the other one says oh no i'm not nervous at all He's, you know I've, I've done what god said have you done have you have you put the blood on the on the lint? yeah I've, I've done that have you have you have you cooked them yep i've done that are you, are you going to eat together as a family yeah i've done that i've done that uh, well then what why are you, why are you stressing well it's okay for you to say you've got three sons you know i've only got one son and you've got to be honest it's been a little bit weird lately you know there's been a some crazy things happening and, and you know there's this kind of to and froing and and uh, and he says, you know what? If I'm honest, there's a little bit of fear in me. There's a little bit of doubt. You know, I've done, I've obeyed God. I've done what God's asked me to do. And and the other guy says, nah, bring it on, bring it on. And then he goes on and he says, so 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 that night the angel of death passed over, and he says, whose oldest son died? At which out of both of them, whose oldest son died? Neither. 
neither of them died and look what he says i love this neither of them died he says because death does not pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity or the size of the faith exercise but on the grounds of the blood of the lamb had nothing to do with them it was all the fact that they were obedient and it was the blood of the lamb same with us it's about Jesus and what he has done for us we may have a small faith but we put it in the greatest object we put it in Jesus and therefore passes over us and maybe the disciples the reason why they couldn't heal that boy or couldn't remove that spirit is maybe we don't know this they'd forgotten where the power had come from let's keep reading uh, mark 9 verse 25 um i do believe help me overcome my unbelief verse 25 says when jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene he rebuked the evil spirit you deaf and mute spirit he said i command you come out of him and never enter him again the spirit shrieked convulsed him violently and came out jesus has authority and power over evil spirits the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead but jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up imagine the father's emotions imagine what would have gone through but that poor dad seeing his his son it would he would look completely different released of this this horrible evil thing after jesus had gone indoors his disciples asked him privately why couldn't we drive it out why couldn't we remove the the demonic spirit the evil spirit he replied this kind can only come out by prayer this kind can only come out by prayer last point and i think and jesus was saying it can only come out by prayer i think there's a sense there that um jesus addressed the demon he removed the demon from this poor boy uh, the disciples are learning they're teachable why couldn't we do that and he says you needed to be connected to who to, to god you need to have a greater connection you because when you're praying and you're fasting that's what you're doing and maybe the disciples began and again we don't know this they began treating because jesus had given them the authority in mark somewhere he says i give you the authority to go out and do what he actually gave them the authority to go out and cast out evil spirits well why didn't it work for this one so maybe they'd be they thought it was more of a ritual or if you do abc it, it comes out or no they forgot the fact that actually it's about being connected to the source of power uh you have been given the authority but you need to stay connected to the power that's the deep lesson here and our last point is you've been given the authority but you need to stay connected to the power now i i honestly can stand up here and say i i haven't always done that i can preach without being connected to the power i can pastor without being connected to the power i've done it i'm being honest i've done it you know I, I i can do that stuff you have gifts and abilities that you can do without being connected to the power but does it have the authority and the power will it have the fruit and the results that comes from when you are connected no it doesn't it doesn't 
not only that it opens yourselves to be attacked by the enemy the roaring lion comes around and so so we need to make sure we stay connected to the power especially if we're in ministry but just as christians look what henry newen says um he says this um we have fallen into the temptation of separating ministry from spirituality service from prayer our demons so he relates it to our own demon or demons uh, we, we are too busy to pray. We have too many needs to attend to, too many people to respond to, too many wounds to heal. Prayer is a luxury, something to be, uh, do, do during a free hour, a day away from work or, or on a retreat. I'm not sure which theologian said it. It might have been Augustine said, I'm so busy today, I'm going to spend the first three hours praying. And, and the sense there is because you need to stay connected to the source of power. The Word of God clearly says, you become a Christian, the Spirit lives in you. You have authority and the ability to live the life that He's called us to live. Doesn't mean it won't be easy. Doesn't mean there won't be oppression and attacks. But the authority's been given and you need to make sure you stay connected to the source of power. Amen.